0: Well, hey, South. Welcome. We are the Birdlins. I'm Billy. I'm Hannah. And this is Baby Cooper, and he is turning one in just a few weeks. Our call to worship this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God.
1: And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
0: In these uncertain times, we often find ourselves worrying or being anxious about a variety of things. So much of our life feels outside of our control and it can feel unsettling to not know what to do. But I think these verses serve as a great reminder for us that no matter what we're feeling or experiencing, our doubts or fears and worries, we can bring them all to God. And the true peace that only he can offer will fill our hearts and our minds. And so this morning, while we can't be together physically, we can still worship our God together all across the Denver area in our homes. Now, Now, let's let's sing.
2: sing. Good morning, church. Thank you, Berglund family, for that call to worship. And what a beautiful reminder that no matter what the fears are that we have in this season of life, we can bring them all before God. Bring them to his presence. And that's what we intend to do this morning. We, We intend to bring all of our fears, our anxieties, our joys into his presence. And let his perfect love cast out fear. And let reminders of his goodness cause our hearts to celebrate him. Let's sing to him. darkness When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I've owned When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken And my fear it's your perfect love that casts out our fears so right now Lord I pray that you would remind us of who you are give us a pure vision of who you are well up in us affection for you restore the joy of our salvation Church, I know that it's hard sometimes when you're trying to worship by watching a screen or there's distractions around your home, but I just encourage you right now to fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe close your eyes, drown out those distractions, and remind yourself of your great Savior and the love with which he loves you. Let's meditate on who he is. demonstrated his love for you and that while you were still a sinner, he died for you. Not when you were worthy, but when you were unworthy. In the midst of all of our brokenness. Who has the power to raise the dead? Let's meditate on him. Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope. Righteousness, his name is Saint Jesus. Only Jesus. Who can make the blind to see? Who holds the keys to set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace. His name is Saint Jesus me Jesus sing holy, holy. the name. Church, this next song is called Come Ye Sinners. And I've been studying the concept of sin in the scriptures. And that's sort of a harsh word in our day and age, isn't it? To call ourselves a sinner. And culture wants to reject that idea. But in scripture, it's such a beautiful truth, actually. It's a liberating truth because it, to acknowledge sin is to acknowledge need. And sin scripturally just means that we've missed the mark, that we haven't lived up fully to what we've been called to do as human beings. And that's to reflect the goodness and the beauty and the glory of God. And when we don't reflect that, when we don't live up to that image of what we are supposed to be like, reflectors of God's goodness, we're sinners. But the scriptures also clearly teach that God gives grace to the humble. And he opposes the proud. And so to acknowledge that we are sinners is actually to acknowledge that we have need and that we fall short, that we miss the mark. So I'd encourage you, embrace that title, I'm a sinner in need of grace. And let that humility well up in you and God gives grace to the humble. But he opposes the proud. I teach you a new song this morning, Sal, this is called Holy Water. Romans teaches us that it's his kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance, Do not take advantage of that kindness, and that's what this verse expresses. It's, I don't want to abuse your grace, God, I need it every day, it's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. Sing that again. I don't want to abuse your grace, God, I need it every day, it's the only thing it again. I don't wanna abuse your grace.
1: Hey kids! One of our favorite activities at our house when it gets warm out is blowing bubbles. Maybe you like to blow bubbles too. I have our bottle of bubbles right here. Now the first time that my daughter opened this bottle and got the wand out, it kind of looked a little like this. A droopy mess. She was wondering how to get the bubbles. I mean, after all, the bottle says that it's bubbles. and... Our daughter knew that it should have bubbles because I told her it would. Now, my daughter might have started to doubt me or thought that we just had a bad bottle of bubbles, but that wasn't it. The only way to get a bubble is to blow into it. There isn't a bubble unless I blow life into the bubble. This is a beautiful reminder that we are all just like a bubble. The Bible says that God breathed life into us. And in the book of Genesis, we learn how God made so many things sun, and moon, and land, and even the sea, plants, animals. And when it came time for the humans, the scripture tells us in Genesis 1 7 that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Wow, this is a great reminder that life comes from God. He loved you and me enough to create us and to breathe life into us so that we could grow like a bubble and move and bring joy and light into the world. So the next time you blow a bubble, I want you to remember that God gave us life. He blew life into each one of us, not only because he loves us, but because each one of us has a purpose. You know, the thing about bubbles is that some will last a long time, and sometimes bubbles are short-lived, but each one of them brings joy. Remember that you are a joy and a delight to your Heavenly Father.
3: good morning South it's a it's a real joy to be back with you teaching uh, this morning you know tomorrow is Memorial Day can you believe it we're already at Memorial Day and, and it's more than just a day to grill out and to spend time with our families or relax it's it's a day to remember those that that gave our lives obtaining or defending our freedom and I want you to think about that word freedom the, the First Amendment provides a real measure of freedom to protect our speech and religion and press and the freedom to assemble and more. And and essentially, in our country, we're free to speak our minds. And of course, some people take that liberty more than others do. You know, growing up, most of us are, are taught that we shouldn't really talk about three key things, politics and sex and religion. Maybe you heard that before. Why? Why shouldn't you talk about those? Don't go to a party and initiate a conversation around those. Why? Well, because they're topics that so easily divide. Here's the thing, we're going to talk about all three of those topics over the next several weeks, so buckle your seatbelts, friends. It's going to be a fun ride. Today, I want to dive into one of the most divisive topics in all of our country today, and that is the topic of politics. Politics cause massive division. All you have to do is turn on the news to see that, And, and I'd argue that our political arena is more divided right now than at any time in the last 40 years, at least since I've been alive. And and if you look at nearly any vote in the House or the Senate, it's it's divided neatly almost always down party lines. See, families can be divided by these issues. For for some families, Christmas and Thanksgiving instead of being a a joyous family time are the time for the annual political debate. And some people really hate that. And it seems like we live in a world where, where nearly everything is politicized and weaponized in some way. Almost every topic, like border security and guns and education, religious freedom, abortion, human rights, and police, and even coronavirus, and on and on it goes. And so, it's, it's bad enough during a normal season, the political divide in our country, but, but this year, we find ourselves in an election year. And for some of you, your adrenaline is pumping right now, and, and the next debate feels to you like the Super Bowl, and you can't wait. You, you love politics, and you can't wait to engage in this season. Or maybe you're just excited to see what SNL does with these debates. For other people, you're thinking, I wish I had skipped this service that I'm listening to right now because I hate talking about politics. I hear you. For others, you're thinking, well, what's, the, what's the big deal? I don't really care about politics. And I'm going to ask all of us to just hang with me this morning because I promise there's going to be something in my talk that, that will offend everybody. And I, and I just want to remind you that I taught a few weeks ago about conflict and offense. And so go back and listen to that talk. I'm kidding. I'm hoping not to offend you. But you might be thinking, well, why are we talking about politics and church? That's a really great question. And I could say a lot of things like, well, you know, Christians need a lot of guidance on how to vote or to push back on certain issues. And, you know, that might be true. But here's the thing. Today, my focus isn't on teaching you how to vote. It's, it's not about what party you should belong to or what your stance on certain issues should be. My talk today is about how we can have relationships with people who can see things differently than us, how we can love and serve them, how we can work with them for the common good. And my hope is this morning is to remind us where our allegiance should lie and to invite us into seeing people as God sees people, Um, to invite us to see the people that God has placed in our lives, to see things um, maybe differently than them, but to find common ground in love. See, the world we live in is very divided, isn't it? It's very black and white. It's very us versus them. It's very competitive and, and often it's cutthroat. I mean, just look at campaign ads. And that is how most people expect one another to engage with politics. And I'm not saying that politics aren't important. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, in a democratic society like the one that we live in, they're incredibly important, but listen, politics are important, but they aren't the most important thing. Politics are important, but they're not the most important thing. So you you can take the issue of politics and you can take all those hot button issues within that and and those naturally cause lots of division because there are lots of different opinions. But once you layer on top of that sort of trying to put a Christian perspective and all the different interpretations within the Christian community, uh, you try to put that on politics and man, we are off to the races with tension and all kinds of division like that, aren't we? That's right. Right. We've even politicized Jesus everybody thinks that Jesus is on their side. I mean, I could pull up verses in the scriptures that show how nearly every political party has some sort of leanings or feels like Jesus is on their side. I mean, Republicans value things like truth and morality and justice and sanctity of life and say, well, that's how Jesus loves it. And Democrats value things like caring for the poor and the marginalized and the dignity of all and for education. And, 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 you know, they might say, well, Jesus, he was virtually a, a free healthcare dispenser, going around and healing and taking care of people. Uh, Libertarians might say that, well, you know, God gives us freedom and he respects that freedom, that God is a respecter of liberty. And and on and on it goes. But here's the thing, and and I want you to not miss this. This might be hard for some of us to stomach. Every party is flawed because they involve humans and no party fully aligns with kingdom values. I'm just going to say that again. I want you to listen. Every party is flawed because they're led and involved with humans and no party fully aligns with kingdom values. You see, no matter how much we want our political preferences to reflect kingdom values, they never fully will. They never will uh, be our savior. They never will be the place that we can fully trust because they're led by humans and humans, as we all know, like you and I, have flaws. And because of that, there's a lot of political tension in our world. The thing is though, this isn't new. Jesus faced political tension as well. I mean, he did address some political matters, but the thing is, we can see that he actually got caught in the political crossfire of his day. And in his day, there were three prominent political parties and all three of them hated one another. There was the Jewish theocracy, the Sanhedrin. They were, they were ruled by the law of Moses, but they also held political office and had some measure of political power. Uh, and by the way, they killed Jesus. So there was Jewish government, but they were also under Roman rule. And they were an occupied people. And so the man named Pilate, you may have heard of him, was the governor of the region. And he was the representative for the Roman rule. And and then there was this puppet king named King Herod. And he was responsible to rule over the Galilean area. And the thing is, the Jews hated Rome for lording over them. And they hated Herod because he was a traitor. They felt like he sold out to the Roman government. And Herod despised Pilate for lording over him. And Pilate despised Herod because he was Jewish. So three different groups, three different opinions, all arguing over one another and fighting for power and control. Does that sound familiar to you? Well, it should because it's not too different from our day, is it? You know, God foretold all of the political fear mongering. God, way back in the Old Testament, as He established the, the Jewish nation four or 5,000 years ago, he, he, he foretold of all this political fear mongering and how He would actually use that for His purpose. About 4,000 years ago or so, when, when God formed the Jewish nation, He formed it through Abraham and Sarah, who had Isaac, who had Jacob, and then ultimately, who had Judah. And in Genesis 49.10, we see that the scepter wouldn't depart from Judah until the coming of the one to whom it belonged. That's sort of basically a way of saying that their rule and authority wouldn't leave the Jewish nation until the Messiah comes. So fast forward a couple of thousand years. See, until Roman occupied the territory, Jewish people still had some measure of rule and autonomy, even when they were captives in Babylon they still were allowed to be judges over their people. But around 7 AD or so, that all ended because of Roman captivity, Roman oppression. In fact, in the Jewish Talmud, it says, Woe to us, the scepter has been taken from us, and the Messiah has not appeared. So they felt like, Woe to us, power has been taken, and the Messiah is nowhere to be found. The prophecy is not right. Something is wrong here. See, they they lost their ability to rule and reign fully, but they thought that this prophecy had failed because they didn't realize that the Messiah, Jesus, was living among them. He just hadn't shown himself yet. And as we know, 25 or so years later, the Sanhedrin would arrest Jesus for claiming to be the son of God. And they wanted to kill him, but they didn't have the authority to because that authority had been taken from them. So they had to go to Pilate to do some political maneuvering. But Pilate's like, hey, he's a Jew. I don't want to deal with this. Deal with it yourself. So they went to Herod to try to get him to deal with it. Herod didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so he brought him back to Pilate. Let's look at John chapter 18, the gospel of John chapter 18, starting in verse 33. Here's what it says. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? And in verse 36, it's really interesting because Jesus starts to talk about his kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom Is from another place. So Pilate says, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Fascinating. See, Jesus uh, openly owns the fact that he has a kingdom. And then look at Pilate's response just in chapter 19. The the Jewish leaders insisted we have a law and according to that law he must die because, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back outside the palace. And where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Did you catch that? Here's Pilate. The ruler from Rome saying, I can either let you free or I can kill you, right? See, one of the reasons that the Jews missed miss the Messiah is that they thought he would take over the political systems of the day. He would overpower Rome, that he would, would become the political king of the era, including Rome and including Herod. And see, Jesus could have responded. Uh, his disciples could have fought Rome, but, but his response to the political authority shows his hand. It shows his intention. He, he says that the only reason that Pilate has any kind of authority is because he's been granted that authority from above. What is Jesus saying here? Listen, he's saying, I'm not worried about the political system of the day. I'm not worried about which king is in authority right now. I'm not worried about the parties and all those sorts of things because my kingdom is above all of those things. See, we can get so hung up on who's elected, we can get so hung up on what decision was made by a leader and what party is doing what. Every election in my lifetime, I've heard people around me say, this is the most important election in history. And you know what? It might be, but it's never an election that God is not in control of or God doesn't have the ability to use for his own good. See, Jesus, instead of coming against the politics of the day and using politics to win, he didn't run a campaign. He he had a kingdom. Instead of that, he had a kingdom that was rooted in love and in moving all things toward wholeness and shalom, all the creation, not rooted in politics. In fact, he allowed the political system of the day to kill him. So what does that tell us about how we should engage in politics? And beyond that, what does it tell us about how we should invest our time and how we should interact with people who believe differently than we do about politics, people who see things differently politically than we do? Should we argue? Should we fight? Should we try to dehumanize others who don't believe the same as we do all in Jesus' name? Here's the thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you can do whatever you want, but listen, if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to live in his way, with his heart, you have to remember that Jesus didn't act that way, and neither should we. And I want you to think long and hard about this statement. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus is the king. Our first allegiance should be to him, not to a party or a policy or an issue. Jesus is the king. He's our first allegiance. Above party, policy, issue, above United States of America, above anything else, Jesus is the one to whom we should have our first allegiance. And for some of us, this is a no-brainer. It's a, well, yeah, yes and amen. But listen to me, this is really easy to get wrong. See, some of us have our fingers wrapped so tightly about our around our political ideology or our party affinity, that, that and we think that our party most reflects Jesus, that we struggle to let it go. Or, or, or we can believe what I said, but not actually do anything differently. I think one of the greatest threats to the church having a voice in this season in the world, um, having a voice to a hurting world is mistaking allegiance to a party or a policy or a platform for allegiance to Jesus. And when Christians marry a platform more than they have allegiance to Jesus, we're all in trouble. And I believe it causes the church to, to lose her voice when she sides with the party. And nationalism dilutes the power of the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is our king. And our first allegiance should be to him, not to a party or a policy or an issue. You see, if we don't root our identity in Jesus the king, we're bound to get it wrong. And what's gonna happen if we get it wrong is that our our intent interactions with others about living in his way and with his heart and, and more, they become about aligning with our political ideology instead of becoming reverent to the king of whom we should have first allegiance. And believe me, I know that's divisive. It's it's hard to get our minds wrapped around it. I I have so many people uh, who are friends of mine who love Jesus, but also love their party, and they have trouble separating the two. A few weeks ago, there's a pastor in New York City um, that I really admire, and he posted something on Facebook, and I reposted it. And I want to share with you what he said. It said, any person who fits neatly in a political party does not fit neatly in the kingdom of God. To fit neatly is not a call to political escapism or a word of judgment against those registered with a political party. Rather, it's a recognition that for those in Jesus' kingdom, any party is ultimately much too constricting a space to find oneself in. To fit neatly, in my mind, means a few things. One, you believe your political party has all the answers to the world's problems. Two, you find it difficult to criticize your own party. Three, you place your ultimate hope for the healing of the world in a party. And four, your social imagination is shaped more by political talking points than the gospel of the kingdom. So, mic drop, right? It really made me think, and I really resonated with what he said. I I so believe in the kingdom of Jesus, and and I guess what I expected was a bunch of hearty yes and amens but instead I was blindsided by the comments I got and the messages I received blasting it and people arguing about it and people skipped right over what he said and went right to arguing about COVID or other issues that made their responses very political and and more or less claiming that Jesus was on their side. Jesus stood before Pilate and said, my kingdom Is not of this world. Meaning there's something that's happening that's higher than local and state or federal politics, that the kingdom of heaven is alive and well. And so when Jesus was asked essentially what mattered most to God, he didn't respond with the political answer. No, he responded with the deeply personal human answer. Look at Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. We've talked about this verse a lot in this series. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Did he say love your neighbor as yourself unless they're pro-choice or unless they're pro-life? The question is, how do we love our neighbors as ourselves if we value our political persuasions above anything else? See, it's clear from reading Jesus, from Jesus' interaction with people, that people are more important to God than politics. I'll say that again. People are more important to God than politics. And that's right. You might not see eye to eye with your neighbor or your brother or your sister or your aunt or your coworker. You might view politics through completely different lenses. And so does that give Does that give us a pass from Jesus, from loving them and building a relationship? No. I can promise you this. Listen, if you would learn to love people despite your differences, if you would learn to listen to them and get to know them for who they are and not just for what they believe, if you look beyond those things to find common ground with them, they'll notice and it'll build a bridge to their heart and God could really use it to do a work in their lives. Who doesn't want that? I think if we're honest, we all do. But the only way that we can do that well is to understand our own identity in the correct light. You see, Paul, speaking in Philippians chapter 3, he he made it clear that we should see our citizenship in a different light. He reframed the idea of where we find our citizenship. Look what he says in Philippians 3, verse 20. He says, "'But our citizenship is in heaven, "'and we eagerly await a Savior from there, "'the Lord Jesus Christ.'" What did that say? Our citizenship is American? Republican? Democrat? No, he said our citizenship is in heaven. That, that is first priority. And by the way, uh, by the way of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's very different than the political systems of our planet, of our nation, of the world. Listen, friends, if we could really sink our teeth into this, if if we'd understand that our allegiance is to the king and to his kingdom, that his way, his heart gets the highest priority, and politics would pretty much pale in comparison to that. And if we could really get that, if we could see people as God sees them, not as Democrats or Republicans, not as those who hold fast to this issue or that issue, but as beloved humans created in the image of God, listen, God can use the worst kings To bring good on this earth he's already at work he's not surprised by what's happening in the world he's already healing and mending relationships and drawing people to himself and moving things towards shalom He, he doesn't need government to do that the government isn't the savior of the world jesus is and he rules and reigns not through political systems primarily but through something far more beautiful his church and his people That's you and that's me. Now, before you email me and tell me I'm wrong, that he rules and reigns through politicians and parties, don't get me wrong. God uses all of those things for his glory, despite their many flaws. But he works all things for good. But listen, his plan for the redemption of mankind wasn't through politics. It kicked into high gear almost 2,000 years ago when he started what? The church. Which means if you're a follower of Jesus... You're a part of the church, which means that you're a part of His plan to bring shalom and healing into the world. See, I think it's an indictment upon the church that we need government to do all of these sorts of things. That people are languishing uh, in in political wasteland. If the church doesn't take seriously her role to be a force for good in the world, to love people, and to move them toward Shalom. And what that means is you have a responsibility not to dehumanize people because of their political beliefs, but to learn to give them the dignity of getting to know them and loving them despite what they might believe. And if the one who you claim to follow didn't feel a need to fight, to argue, and to defend his kingdom, well, frankly, we shouldn't either. I know I've spent some time on this, but I I really want us to get it, that we can't go out and learn to love our neighbors as ourselves if we're married too much to a political ideology, if we don't realize first that Jesus is king and that our first allegiance is to him, not to a party or an issue or whatever it might be, if we don't first realize that we're citizens of heaven. You want to be countercultural? Don't argue about politics. Meet people where they are. Learn to live in such a way that looks different. Than other people live and I can promise you that when the election is over if you do that if you spend time getting to know people and invested in friendship despite your differences those who you don't see eye to eye with they'll remember that when their life hits a snack and they might actually want to talk to you about Jesus then because you didn't alienate them over politics listen to Peter's words in First Peter 2, he says, "Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who are right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Peter reminds us that that although we live here as foreigners and exiles, that's really who we are, we're we're not citizens of this world. We're we're not of this world. But he doesn't give us an excuse or a cop-out. He actually admonishes us to live such good lives among people who don't know God that they might see our good deeds and glorify God. And he tells us to submit to every human authority and says it's God's will that by by doing good in the midst of all of that that you would silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Living a life that honors Christ despite the political landscape that we find ourselves in is pleasing to God. It actually draws people to him is so different than what they're seeing on Facebook and what they're hearing on TV. So hopefully by now the first thing we, we will all remember is that Jesus is Lord and that we're citizens of heaven. And because of this, we can rise above politics to to build friendships with those who aren't like us politically. Well, how do we do that? I wanna spend just the next couple of minutes as we close today giving you just three things that you can do practically to build relationships with people and to model this kind of life. The first one is to love by listening to them. Love by listening to them. You know, it's so easy to dehumanize people when they see things differently. It's, it's understandable physiologically. When we hear something that goes against what we believe, it's threatening. And our body releases chemicals uh, that, can, that can cause us to dig our heels in. It's much harder to actually stop and, and try to listen to what they're saying. It takes a lot of practice. But I am wanna give you two questions to ask people who maybe see issues different than you. The first one is, how did you come to feel this way about this issue? How did you come to feel this way about this issue? And it's a powerful question. It, it pushes beyond the issue of, um, of what they believe to who they are. It rehumanizes them it allows you to dig into how they think and, and what they might be bringing to their position. You know, abortion, as you know, is a very divisive topic. And if you're not for abortion and you want to talk to someone who is, just ask them how they came to their understanding and belief about it instead of saying, I disagree, you're wrong. I mean, arguing burns bridges. Listening builds bridges. Arguing burns bridges. Listening builds bridges. You might find out that they learned their perspective from their parents or they did a lot of research or they were really attentive and thought deeply through it or that they might have some personal pain around the issue and, and that no Christian's ever taken the time to sit down and listen to them in their heart. It's in listening that the Spirit of God can really reveal how He's moving in someone's life and invite us to be a part of that. My friend Carolyn says that the the space between our mouths and someone else's ears is Holy Spirit territory. I love that. Try asking a question of somebody and just see what God might do to begin to break down walls and to allow you to see them with different eyes. Stephen Covey in his great book, Seven Habits of highly effective people, he has this great statement that I'll never forget. He says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. You know, it's a powerful principle that builds bridges of love and opens the door to holy conversation. Our default is to try to convince people of our our position. You need to believe what I need to believe. But it takes a lot more work to actually be interested in them, to listen, to understand where they're coming from. Listen, it's natural to wanna get your point across. But it's holy to listen. The second question you can do, uh, you can ask, is what's most important to you? And this is such a good question because it pushes beyond the issue of a party platform and gets to the core of who they are as a, as a human. And Jesus did this over and over. He got to know people. Um, he knew things about people. Think of the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. He demonstrated that he really knew her. And she was so excited at finally being known by someone that she went back and told the whole town about jesus imagine if you asked those kinds of questions it'd be a powerful bridge and it would build a friendship that could literally change someone's life through the power of the gospel so practically you can love someone by listening to them a couple of other things real quick you can model healthy submission to authority and i'm just going to be honest and vulnerable this is the hardest thing for me personally to get. I I don't always like what our national leaders say. I don't always agree with what they say or how they treat others. I, I read Peter's admonition to submit to our authorities. Paul said it. He said in Romans 13, he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And I'll just be honest, I really wish that wasn't in the scriptures, because it's just really hard sometimes. I get frustrated sometimes. How about you? I don't want to submit to those in authority. There are times I don't want to pray for people in authority, but I also can argue from the scriptures that God allows them to be there and that he uses them for his good purposes. I might not like it, but it's true. And I got to be honest and say, as I was studying for this and thinking through this, uh, it was hard this week. It's, it's hard to teach on something that I'm struggling to do well at times. And so I'm not standing from a position of, I've nailed this. I'm standing... I guess in front of you uh, from the position of, I'm an apprentice of Jesus, who's got a lot of work to do in this area. And I also think it's an important part of my own formation. And, and what I'm trying to do this week is instead of running from it, I'm trying to step into it. And, and I'm going to add praying over our leadership as a practice for myself this week, because it's the opposite of what I naturally wanna do. You know, modeling healthy submission is powerful. Honoring leaders is powerful. Bashing and trashing, not so much. Listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's bad to stand up for, for injustice. It's absolutely uh, good to stand up for that and not remain silent. But I'm saying that trusting God, um, that he is using those in authority, even if we don't always see it, and pray for them and honor them and speak out against injustice itself when you need to and do it in a godly way. So we, we can be practically, we can love people by listening to them getting to know who they are. We can, we can model for them the way that we submit to authority and that we pray for our leaders. And finally, the last thing I want to encourage us to do is to watch your mouth. Your mom said that to you when you were a kid? My mom sure did. You know, I've been really disappointed these last few months in, in Christians who leverage their voice to cause fear among others, who who badmouth leaders in unhealthy ways, who cause division and anxiety and fear, and instead of introducing people to the person and the work of Jesus. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, he says, "...do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." If you're talking trash about leaders all the time or, or other people who see things differently than your perspective, stop it. If you're reposting things, slamming other leaders constantly, stop it. If you're posting things that aren't true, stop it. If you're contributing to the noise and causing fear and, and joining in on fear monitoring, stop it. God has not given us the spirit of fear. And I want to challenge you to do as Paul says to leverage your voice to build other people up. Not fear-mongering, not picking sides, not tearing down. Standing up to injustice, yes, but not tearing people down just because they disagree with you. Think about this. If, if everything I said today, if you were able to shift your mindset in this season, to, to remember that you're a citizen of heaven, and your first allegiance is to Jesus, not to a, a party or a policy or an issue, and, and to remind yourself that people are more important than politics, and to, to love people by listening to them, to really getting to know their story, to investing over the long haul by listening and getting to know them, to, to model healthy submission to authority, to watch your mouth. If you were to do all of those things, you'd definitely be countercultural. You'd, you'd be living in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, and, and you'd be building, building bridges and opportunities to model and share the love of Jesus in the way of Jesus with his heart. Friends, you're citizens of heaven, of a kingdom that's so much higher, so much more powerful, so much more loving, so much more beautiful, so much more benevolent than any kingdom on earth. And Jesus invites you and I to live as citizens of that kingdom and to build bridges of love and relationship with others, even with people who don't see eye to eye politically. Imagine if followers of Jesus really lived that way, what it might do to the neighborhoods we live in, to the city that we live in, to the state we live in, to the country we live in. And it might sound like a pipe dream. It might sound like, well, that could never happen. But listen, instead of depending on the government to to be the the voice and the instrument of love, we should be doing that. Love greater than politics. That's what this this idea of love greater than politics is about, is rising above that to see people with fresh eyes through the eyes and the lens of Jesus. Um, And instead of contributing to the noise, instead of contributing to the problem, pointed people toward Jesus, invited people to see the one who's above all the issues, if we invited people to see this Jesus that we talk about, what Jesus does, and what he invites us into. And if we invited them also to live as citizens of heaven under the kingship of Jesus, I can promise you we'd see our communities transform right around us. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I'm just grateful for your invitation to join you in your kingdom or would you break the shackles of fear and adherence to things that aren't honoring to you of putting other things in front of you lord that is an idolatry or would you help us to see you as king and would you help us to make you our first allegiance and as an overflow of that holy spirit would you help us to see our neighbors and our friends and our family with your eyes in love And to help us to have an interest in them, to ask them questions, to get to know them, to to care deeply for them despite our differences. Lord, give us inroads to talk to people and make deep relationships with people who see things different, that we might show them the love of Jesus and invite them also to become citizens of heaven. And Lord, for injustice, we just praise you and thank you that you are a God of justice and pray that you continue to, to bring justice to this earth. May shalom reign in Jesus' strong, powerful name. And together this church said, amen. You know, we have a very special musical guest today singing an original song. And I'm going to invite you to uh, to listen to the words of this song. And while we're listening, let the Holy Spirit work in you. And if you've made your political party above Jesus, would you allow the Spirit to right the ship on that? If you've made your goal to convince people instead of to love people and to listen would you allow the Holy Spirit to write the ship on that? If you've not been submitting to authority, if you're rebelling against authority, would you let the Holy Spirit write the ship on that and begin to pray for your leaders? Um, I'm going to ask you to just listen to the words of this songs and surrender your allegiance and your ideas, your politics to Jesus and trust that He's at work in this world, that His justice rules and reigns throughout all of the universe. Let's sing.
2: Hey
4: South Fellowship, uh, my name is John Gear. I just wanted to share a little bit about um, the song Citizens that I'm about to sing for you. It is a song that I wrote um, and it is a song that uh, doesn't present a lot of answers. It's a song that asks a lot of questions. And um, when we read in the Psalms um, David uh, asking questions, what we realize is that questions can often be a um pathway to God as well, not that we live in our questions or our uncertainties no but 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 those can actually lead us sometimes not necessarily to answers because some things are so dissonant and some questions and some problems are so um uh, it, it, it's so uh, unknowable and, and God hasn't made it very clear to us so some questions don't lead us to answers but they do lead us to the presence of God. They lead us to deeper communion with Him because we're directing our uncertain, full-throttle humanity towards Him. And that's kind of what this song does. Um, It's a song about justice. Um, Wouldn't we all like a little bit of justice? I mean, turn on the news and it's like, there's so much injustice. There's so much to worry about. There's so much to complain about. There's so much to lament. There's so much to cry about. Um the tricky thing about justice is that um as many people as there are um asking the question and as many people as there are answering the question, um that is, is many different uh definitions of the word justice that we will find. And what we find in scripture is that in fact um God's justice is not man's justice. When Jesus says um Jesus says in, in the book of Matthew, if somebody hits you, turn them the other cheek. Um, that's not just, he says, if somebody takes your cloak, uh, if, if somebody takes something from you, turn around and give them your cloak as well. That that's not just when Jesus is dying on the cross. He, um, he doesn't pray for the apostles. He prays for the people who are killing him. Forgive them father for the know not what they do. That is the most unjust thing in the world. And yet, and yet, and yet it is an image of a higher, Justice. It, it is an image, and, it, and really, it's emblematic of the justice of God, which is unconditional love in the middle of man's injustice, and that is what we have as our model, and that is what we have um, as a, as the path, and and it is an impossible path. Truth be told, who can who can say to their enemies as they're um, killing and torturing them, Father, forgive them? Who could say that? I, I know for a fact I would be cursing them. I would be trying to get myself off that cross. But not, but not, not Jesus. Um, and so what is it that, um, that, that leads us to that cruciform love? Um, it's an understanding that that is the way God has loved us. And um, though we don't have the answers to the injustices in our world, um, we do have the unconditional love of Christ on the cross. And um, this song is, is basically just trying to reckon with the injustice I see with the unconditional love. Of Christ and, and wanting that for myself and wanting that for my community, wanting that for the church in America, wanting that for the whole country, if possible, wanting just the law of unconditional love to supersede the law of um, what is what is fair or what is right in, in the eyes of man. So it is a um, it's a it's, it's a heart Christ song and I, and I really hope that you that it it, it is it gives you some language um, and some expression for. Uh, your own heart as well.
5: I have a heart full of questions Quieting all my suggestions What is the meaning of Christian In this American life I'm feeling awfully foolish Spending my life Phone a message. I look around and I wonder, Ever if I heard it right. Coming to you because I'm confused. Coming to you because I feel used. Coming to weep while I'm waiting. Tell me you won't make me go. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants. You call us citizens, you welcome us as children, oh. You were alone and rejected, misunderstood and detested. You gave it all, didn't hold back. You even gave up your life. How can we call ourselves Christians, saying that love is a tension between the calls Crossing between the old party line. Coming to you for the mothers who are all running for cover. There is a flood from their weeping. Tell me you won't make them go. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants and you call us. And you welcome us as children home There is a man with a family He has a wife and a baby He broke the law just to save him Working for three bucks an hour Truly you said we were equal Everyone's heart is deceitful Everyone born is illegal One love is the law of the land Coming to you for the hungry Eating the scraps of this country Didn't you swear you would feed them? Tell me you won't make them go I need to know there is justice That it will roll in abundance And that you're building a city we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. Ooh. There is a wolf who is ranting, all of the sheep they are clapping, promising power and protection. Claiming the Christ who was killed Killed by a common consensus Everyone screaming Barabbas Trading their God for a hero Forfeiting heaven for Rome Coming to you cause I'm angry Coming to you cause I'm guilty Coming to you cause you promised To leave the flock for the one I need to know there is justice that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. love always, living in enemy hallways, I don't know my foes from my friends, and I don't know my friends anymore, power has several prizes, handcuffs can come in all sizes, love has a million disguises, but winning is simply not one.
6: Hey folks, thanks so much for joining us and for being part of our worship this morning. And Larry, thanks for those, uh, those thoughts that you shared, the challenges that you gave us. You know, living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Well, that's what we're all about here at South, and we want to grow in that. So thanks, Larry. Um, challenging thoughts. Um, hey, I want to share a, a few quick announcements with you all. You know, this is Memorial Day weekend, and... Um, a great time for us to be able to reflect on the freedoms that we have in this country and to be grateful to our God for how he's provided for us. Um, Part of those freedoms are the fact that we can be a church together. And, you know, we've got some fun things planned this weekend or this week. Um, Amy and her crew have planned a a movie night on Friday night. And you're probably saying, how can we do a movie night? Well, we're going to have a drive-in movie It's gonna be a drive-in theater that she's gonna produce over at our parking lot at the church. And in case you forgot where our church is, it's 6560 South Broadway. We encourage you to come on Friday night at seven o'clock. They're gonna be showing the movie Wonder Park. It's gonna be a ball. I've never seen it, but it's gonna be fun. we're just asking also if you come it's free but if you could bring a donation for the food bank that would be terrific the food banks doing a great ministry during these times and that'll just help support them you're probably seeing over in the chat line right now just some ideas of what you can bring for the food bank ministry itself Uh, so we hope we see you friday night also on friday uh, we're going to be having a support group starting one that we've had in the past but it's a very important support group called Grief grief share If you've lost someone dear to you or near to you, and you're processing through that loss, that grief, um, this support group gives you some tools, some strategies on how to deal with your grief. Everybody's grief is unique. Uh, Yeah, please don't think that you're going to be stuck into a box and uh, be given some easy solutions. No, but you're going to find people who love you, who walk with you, who help you. Uh, I'd encourage you to be part of that. If you'd like to be part of Grief Share, uh, it's going to start this Friday, the 29th, and uh, you can see some uh, links over on the chat line, or you can go to our website or our app and be able to sign up for that Grief Share on this Friday. We're also going to be having some other support groups throughout the summer, uh, groups dealing with stress and anxiety, maybe some groups that will help with uh, relationships and marriage. Um, So be staying tuned for that too. Um, Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, I just wanna say one big thank you, a big shout out to all of you. Uh, Normally this coming week, we have something called Family Promise, in which we will house four to five families, homeless families in our church, who are working together to be able to get off the streets. Well, those families have to be housed now and sheltered in a motel where uh, they're kept safe during this time. Uh, But we've been asked to raise money to be able to cover that week for them. You know, you all gave so much. Not only were we able to raise enough money to cover this coming week that we have a responsibility for, but we also have a week in July that's going to be coming, and you raised enough money to cover that week as well. Thank you so much for the generosity of your hearts. In fact, thank you so much for the generosity you've shown South during this whole time. I really do thank you for that. Um... You know, I'm going to say goodbye now, but if you're watching this live, hey, join us in the Zoom room. We'd love to be able to chat and process some of the things that Larry has shared with us, some of the things that we've learned during worship time together. Uh, The the kids are going to have a chat room of their own too. Um, You'll see some links to it um, in the chat that's going by. Um, So join us at that Zoom room uh, and also spread the word. We'd love to have more and more people join us on Sunday morning. You know, it's It's one of the things about this time. Uh, We're online. People can come from all around the world to join us. So spread the word and invite your friends uh, to come on Sunday morning. Again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Let's let's grow together as we learn how to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Hey, have a great week. We love you. Bye-bye now.